following message is presented by First Baptist Church of Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Now the message. You have your Bibles tonight. We're in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. The Apostle Paul is doing his best to save the church in Galatia from the Judaizers in the area. Uh, We've looked at this multiple times. They have come saying that there are certain portions of the law that they must adhere, adhere to, even though they're followers of Jesus Christ. Last week, the passage that we looked at, the Apostle Paul used an allegory. Uh, an allegory is a story that's told with either fiction, uh, fictional people or non-fictional people. Uh, they could be real or not. Um, the situation could have been made up or not, but the story basically tells a principle. It's similar to what Jesus used in the Gospels when he told a parable. A parable is an earthly story with a spiritual meaning to it. And so the Apostle Paul last week used the allegory. He compared Hagar and Sarah, uh, the, the bond woman versus the free woman, the two children that they were uh, given, blessed with, and how the children of Israel had derived from them and experienced their freedom coming from them. So this allegory the Apostle Paul used kind of folds over into tonight. And whenever I told about the the allegories last week, there was one in particular that I mentioned that Plato used. It was an allegory of a cave. So what happened when he told this allegory, there was a group of people, basically prisoners, they were chained to their seats and weren't able to move their heads, uh, weren't able to get up. And the only thing that they could do was stare at the back of this cave. So behind the people, behind the prisoners was a fire. And in between the prisoners and the fire was somewhat of a puppeteer. All the people could see was the shadows that were created by this puppeteer. And so I don't know how long it went on, but can you just imagine that the only information that you have coming in to your mind, to your eyes, to your life, the only thing that you know about the outside world is what is being shown to you in front of you. And that's all you can see and that's all you know is information that is fed by someone else. You know, I I began thinking about that. I just thought, you know, how horrible it would be to go through life not being able to learn on my own, not being able to read the books that I want to read, not being able to listen to the information that I want to listen to, but only what has been fed to me. Sound a little uh, familiar? <laughs> That's kind of what goes on when people sit in front of that TV for so long, isn't it? The only information they have coming into them is what's fed through the media. And so most people have uh, two washing machines in their home. One washes laundry. Uh, the other washes their brain as they sit in front of it and, and watch that. So basically that's how that allegory goes, and that's what it teaches. And basically that's the situation uh, that this first century church is in. The only information that they have so far is what is being fed to them by the Judaizers. Now the Apostle Paul is bringing this new information into them, and basically he's setting them free. And so can you imagine after sitting here for so long with only the information that somebody has uh, allowed to come into your life, the, the only information that you know is what has been told to you by someone else or shown to you by someone else. 
And then all of a sudden you experience this new freedom. Somebody breaks a chain, somebody sets you loose, and all of a sudden you're revealed to this fallacy, uh, this sham, if you want to call it, this puppet show that has been relaying information to you for most of your life. How would you feel about that? How would you handle this newfound freedom that you are now experiencing? I began thinking about that as well. You know, uh, the older I get, the more it takes me uh, to be able to get up and move around after I've sat out for a long time. Used to, when I deer hunted a lot, I'd sit in the deer stand. Boy, on them cold, cold mornings, the muscles and the joints would get cold and tight. And the longer you sat there not moving, it was almost like you had to intentionally learn how to stand up and move around. I experience that now getting out of bed every morning. <laughs> Man, I hit the floor. My feet hurt. My knees hurt. My legs hurt. And it takes me a little while to get going again. But the longer you sit idle somewhere, the longer it takes you to get up and get readjusted and get moving because you're experiencing this newfound freedom that your body's not used to. It's been in the same position for so long. And so that's kind of what the Apostle Paul is teaching them in chapter 5. Uh, he goes through the first four chapters explaining to them, you do not have to adhere to the law. You are saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. So now he is getting into the application part of his letter as we get into Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. So the title of the message tonight is Keep On Standing. Your freedom that you have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Most of the time, it's something that you take for granted. Most of us have been Christians long enough. We know what we should and should not do. But do we really grasp the freedom that we have? Do we really appreciate the freedom that comes through the grace that is given to us through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ? So the first question I want to ask you is this. Are you standing in freedom? Is there something that is still holding you down? Is there still some type of bondage that you are under? Let's read the whole passage and we'll walk through this and we'll unpack it together. The Apostle Paul says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Some people say that the letter of Galatians is the Magna Carta for Christians if so, this is the key that kind of unlocks the entire letter right here in this first verse. He's saying you're not in bondage anymore. You're not a slave to the law as you have been for so many years, but you have been set free by the Lord Jesus Christ. But you need to learn how to walk in that freedom so you don't get tangled up under the yoke of bondage once more. Indeed, I, Paul, once again, he's emphasizing his apostolic authority here. He says, again, I, indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, the part of the law that he's dealt with the most in this church, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through 
love. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for what you want to show to us through this, Lord God. And I just pray that we would just live in the freedom that comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. But on that same thought, Lord, help us to not take advantage of the freedom that we've been given. Help us to not take advantage of the grace that you've blessed us with. Help us to relish the fact that we have been saved and set free by the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. And help us to keep in mind, Lord God, that there are people that are walking around us who are in bondage. They're enslaved to legalism. They think that there are certain things that they should do ritualistically that will cover their sins. Lord God, your, your word clearly tells us that it is the blood of Jesus Christ that washes us free of all of our sins. And I pray now that you'll open our eyes and open our hearts through this passage. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Are you standing in freedom? The Apostle Paul opens up by saying, stand fast. It's almost as if someone was in danger of losing their footing. <clears throat> if you remember when we started back at the beginning of this letter, Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, he said he marveled that they have turned away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. Already they were slipping. As soon as he opens up his letter, he says, you're slipping, you're fading away. You have turned so quickly from the truth of the gospel. And here he's saying, look, don't lose the foothold that you have right now. Stand your ground and stand fast in the liberty. Don't let these Judaizers sway you into thinking that there are still things of the law that you have to adhere to that apply to your salvation. He also says in Galatians chapter 3 verse 1, he says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It's almost like they're stumbling around under a spell that these Judaizers have put on them. Either that or someone is shoving you and causing you to lose your footing. He makes a statement here, stand fast. Don't lose any ground. Don't go backward. Don't turn away anymore. He also emphasized the same thing to the church at Ephesus. Ephesians um, in the letter to the Ephesians, he writes this. He says, see then that you walk circumspectfully, not as fools, but as wise. In other words, be mindful of every step you take and stand fast in the position and hold your position, hold your ground. Don't slip back into your old ways. Don't slip back into your old habits but stand in the freedom that comes only through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 40 has a lot to say about the way you walk and the way you run. He says, those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on high with wings like eagles. They shall run and not weary, and they shall walk and not faint. This word freedom here that he's talking about, liberty, it's a Greek word that he's introducing to them. He's introducing this concept of freedom and it gives the practical application and how to further, uh, he gives practical application to this freedom and liberty further down in verse 13. He says, you have been called to 
liberty. Jesus uses the analogy of freedom as well as he dealt with the same type of legalistic people in John chapter 8, verses 31 through 36. If you want to turn there, we'll read through that. And Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Stand fast in your freedom, he's saying. If you know the truth, hold your ground. If you know the truth, the truth will make you free. And they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants. We have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin, and a slave does not abide in the house forever. But a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. So the Apostle Paul is saying here, your freedom, your liberty, it's not anything to take lightly. You need to stand fast. You need to get away from that yoke of bondage. Don't be tangled up with all the legalistic rules that the Judaizers are trying to push upon you. The next thing I want to ask you is this. Are you standing in grace? Do you relish the freedom that you've been given through the Lord Jesus Christ? You know for sure that your sins have been paid for. Your sins have been covered by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the grace of God, has it covered your life? Are you standing in grace as well? In verses 2 through 3, Paul gives two harmful consequences of legalism. Number one, he says, legalism will cancel any and all benefits in Christ. We see that in verse two. The second thing that he points out about legalism and the harmful consequences that come through it is that it will put them under obligation of keeping the whole law. Did you catch that in verse three? He says, and I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. Can you imagine that if our salvation came through upholding all of the law, that was the only way that we could have eternal life, that that was the only way we can experience salvation is by the upholding of all of the law? What if the book of Leviticus were the only book from the Bible that you had to live your life by? That'd be a train wreck, wouldn't it? Would you be able to keep up with everything that's written in that book? I know I wouldn't. But that's exactly what the religious teachers in Jesus' days did. He said, you must adhere by these. You must go by these rules. You must follow these rules. And Jesus said, no, look, you got it all wrong. No man is able to uphold all of those rules that you're putting on them. Could you do it? Could you? Would you even want to try to do it? That's what grace is all about. That's the freedom that we experience. Yet Paul makes it clear right here that if you uphold the law of circumcision, the one law that he's dealt with more than any other here in the book of Galatians, he says if you uphold the law of circumcision, then you are obligated to the whole law. Well, that pretty much negates any and all grace that a person 
could experience. Yet here in verse 4, he has another harmful consequence to legalism. He says, you will be completely estranged. In other words, you will be completely separated from the Lord Jesus Christ. As you look at verse 4, this word is estranged that he uses here. Depending on what translation you're using, uh, it has a different word to it. But it does mean that you will be completely severed from Jesus Christ. In the Greek, it means to put an end to or to invalidate. The New King James Version that I'm using uses the word estranged. The King James Version says it is of no effect. The Amplified Version or the ESV says it has been severed from Christ. The CSB, the NIV, and the HCSB use the word alienated in place of that. But he said, if you're trying to uphold the law, you, you can't just keep this one law. You've got to keep every one of them. You're obligated to keeping all of them. How can you say that this one law that I'm trying to adhere to has more effect than any of the others? And with this in mind, Paul makes it clear. If you consider yourself to be justified by the law, then you have actually fallen from grace. Now, this little phrase right here probably creates a lot of confusion among Christians. Can a Christian fall from grace? What does it mean to fall from grace? Preacher, do you believe that once saved, always saved? I think the two questions kind of have the same effect to them. Here's what I believe. I believe if saved, always saved. That there's a difference. But this word fall here, it depends on what your definition of the word fallen is. In the Greek, it means to experience no longer. It's not actually a fall like if you would fall out of a tree or just completely drop out of something. If you fall into something like the Apostle Paul is saying here, that means you have fallen out of something else. You can't be in two places at once. Either you're up the tree or you're down on the ground. If you've fallen out, you're down on the ground. You're no longer up in the tree. If you're abiding in the law, then you're in bondage to legalism and you've fallen from grace. You experience grace no longer when you fall under the auspices of legalism. Do you know where the term falling off the man wagon actually came from? When we think about falling, of grace, uh, falling from grace, we think about a black backslidden brother or sister in Christ. Someone that said at one time or another that they were a Christian, that they got saved, but now they're living a lifestyle that is totally opposite of that. We say, well, they just fell off the man wagon. You know where that term actually came from? William Booth, when he founded the Salvation Army, he would go through cities. He had a band that would march, play music to draw a crowd, and behind that band he had a horse-drawn wagon that people could get into, and they would go back to their facilities where they would feed them, they would clothe them. William Booth, his motto was soup, soap, and souls. <laughs> he would want to feed up the people who couldn't afford it. He would want to clean them up, but most importantly, he would use those two methods to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ with them.
But as they would go through the town with this band leading the way, with this horn strong wagon, people would get up in the wagon, and there would just be loads of people in this wagon as they went through town, all the way to capacity, and undoubtedly, somewhere along the way, they would pick up someone that was a little bit inebriated, that had too much to drink. The bumpy roads, the rough roads, eventually they would lose their equilibrium, and guess what they'd do? They'd fall off the bandwagon. <laughs> well, that would stop the whole procession. The band would stop playing. They would stop marching. Nobody was moving. They would get off. They would pick this guy up, and they'd put him back on the bandwagon, and away they'd go again. If only we could go back and pick up a fallen Christian that easily. If only we could pray for someone who was backslid instead of looking down upon them and say, you know what, they just fell from grace. No, they didn't fall from grace. Maybe they weren't discipled properly. Maybe they experienced something that was just too much for them to handle. Folks, here's what I want you to understand. Either a person is under the umbrella of God's grace or they're not. You can't be in two places at once. And if a person has experienced genuine salvation, then they are under the umbrella of grace. You say, well, how will I know they've experienced true salvation? I'm not supposed to judge anybody. No, you're not supposed to judge anybody. But what kind of fruit are they producing? Here's what 1 John chapter 5, 13 says. I think I shared this verse last week. It says, he who has the son, that is Jesus, has life. He who does not have the son does not have life. You can't have it both ways. Either you have Jesus or you don't have Jesus. Jesus said, if the son has made you free, you are free indeed. You're either experiencing freedom, you're standing in freedom, you're walking in freedom or you're still in bondage to your sin. And Paul is saying here, either you're under grace or you're under the law. You can't be in two places at once. We were talking about that in choir practice a while ago. Sylvia said, I can't sing both parts to give you a demonstration. And most of our music is broken up into high notes and low notes. You can't sing them both at the same time. You've got to pick one or another and go with it. Paul is saying, if you've fallen from grace and you're still under the auspices of the law, you can't live a legalistic lifestyle and enjoy the freedom that comes through grace. What is grace? Grace is God's unmerited favor. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. We can't work for it. How can you tell if a person is fallen from grace? If a person is living a life of habitual sin with no moral compass and no desire for the things of God, then most likely they have never experienced grace through faith. And when Jesus talked about these religious leaders that would push legalism and the law on the people, teach them incorrectly, he said they are Bad trees that cannot produce good fruit. And Jesus says, you'll know people who are truly followers of me by the fruit that they produce. 
He says a good tree cannot produce bad fruit and a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. You will know them by their fruits. The next thing I want you to see is in verse 5. Are you standing in freedom? Are you standing in grace? And are you standing in hope? Stand fast. Don't get tripped up. Don't get entangled in the yoke of bondage. But in verse 5 he says, For we, through the Spirit, big S, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. What is it that you're hoping in right now? What hope are you standing in? What is the thing that gives you more hope than anything else? What is the one thing that you ponder on? It says, man, my hope is built in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. What do I hope in? Folks, there's nothing that makes your pastor stand stronger than to know that you are praying for him. I am encouraged when you're here, and I'm also encouraged when you tell me that you're praying for me. This gives me hope that we're on the right track with where God wants us to be. What hope are you standing in right now? Paul is saying here in verse 5 that as a follower of Christ, there is something that keeps us focused on the hope that is in store for us. It's the spirit of the living God that lives inside of us. It's the spirit living within us that brings us conviction and hope to keep us in check with where we need to be. And man, if I'm living in the hope of the Lord Jesus Christ, if his Holy Spirit is living with me, if I know that I'm under the umbrella of God's grace, and I am free from my sin debt, that gives me hope. And as Paul said, the Spirit is the seal that seals us until the day of redemption. What are you hoping in right now? What is it that really, really makes you move forward in your Christian life? What is it that gives you joy? What is it that you are anticipating right now? Here in Galatians, the Apostle Paul says that it is the Spirit that gives us hope by faith. So you remember the allegory of the cave that we was talking about just a moment ago? This, this is where the first century church believers stood. They were freed from the law after so many centuries. Now that they're under grace and set free from the law, learning how to stand in a newfound liberty, all they knew for so long was a shadow of things to come. They were stuck between the age of the law and the age of grace. And they're learning how to walk again. They're learning how to stand fast in this newfound liberty, in this newfound freedom. All they knew for so long was a shadow of things to come. All they had knew was what the religious leaders had fed them. You don't need to read the Bible on your own. We'll teach you what you need to know. 
Let us help you follow the ways of the law. We're, we're much smarter than you are. We're much wiser than you are. And they had no hope until Jesus came in. Now for us here in the 21st century, where are we at? We're, we're stuck between the redemptive work on Calvary and the much anticipated second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse five is where the apostle Paul says that we are eagerly awaiting the hope of righteousness by faith. That should be the thing that gives you hope. That should be the thing that gets you up in the morning. Says, I've got another day to live for the Lord. What can I do? This could be the day that Jesus comes back. That's what I'm hoping for. Tonight in my sleep, it could be the night that Jesus comes back. That's what I'm hoping for. There's a lot of things here on this earth left that I still want to do, but I'm living in the hope that soon and very soon we're going to see the king. Any moment now, we could hear that trumpet. We could hear the Lord shout. We could see those eastern skies part. And in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we'll be caught up to meet him in the air. That's the hope that I cling to. And so when Paul writes about the second coming in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he concludes by saying these words. He says, when you talk about the resurrection, when you talk about the second coming, when you talk about the hope of the future, encourage one another with these words. When's the last time you took a brother or sister and just took them by the arms and said, hey, look, Today could be the day. <laughs> That's what I'm hoping for. That's what you're hoping for. Are you encouraging each other with that? You want to help encouraging each other to stand? Is that what you want to do? And you keep reminding them of the hope that we are eagerly awaiting for. This could be the day. Are you ready? And as Paul transitions here in verse 6 to the rest of the letter, he starts giving some very, very practical application. Once you stand fast in your liberty, once Jesus Christ has made you free, once you learn how to stand in this new freedom, once you learn how to stand in grace, once you learn how to stand in hope, the next thing that you need to learn how to stand in is love. And that is a common theme in just about every one of the Apostle Paul's letters. He has some chapters devoted to the topic of love. And it's not just a love for your Lord Jesus Christ. It's a love for each other as well. The kind of love that he's talking about here is an agape love, an unconditional love. Paul summarizes his concept here as he transitions to the application part of the letter. He clearly states that whether you're circumcised or not, whether you adhere to the law or not, if you don't have Jesus, you don't have anything. He says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. 
He says, but here's the key factor. Here's the key thing that you need to work on. Here's the key aspect that you need to stand in. You need to stand strong in your love for each other, and you need to stand strong in your love for the Lord. You see, your faith is working out something else in your life. Your faith is producing this love that nothing else can produce. Your freedom is producing this love that can't be found anywhere else. The grace of God, the umbrella of grace that you're under, it should produce a love for God like nothing else will produce. Faith working through love. You see, faith doesn't work through the law. That's what Paul is driving home here. Faith works through love. Faith doesn't work through the law because it's not about obligation. You see, they didn't adhere to the law for so many years because they loved the Lord. They adhered to the law because that's what they were told to do. That's what they were told that they had to do. If you want to find grace in the eyes of the Lord, you adhere to the law. You must obey the law. The Apostle Paul is reversing that. He's saying no. He says it's faith first. And then there's something else that your faith produces. And one of those things that your faith produces is love. Faith works through love. Faith is followed by works, not vice versa. James chapter 2 verse 17 says that there's an order that should come naturally for the child of God. But James actually says that works and faith are inseparable, but he says faith must come before works. As a matter of fact, he goes as far to say that faith without works is dead. He says you're not saved by your works, you're saved by faith, but your faith should be producing something in your life each and every day. What are you standing on today? Is your footing firm? Are you on solid ground? Are you still learning how to manage this newfound freedom that comes through grace in Jesus Christ? Who are you standing with? Are you trying to stand alone? So in your apologetic effort in witnessing ministry, the whole purpose of us going through this study of the book of Galatians is to prepare you how to have a conversation with someone. You know someone that's suffering from legalism. They think that they have to work, 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 work to earn their salvation. Bring them to this. Bring them through this passage. Bring them through this book. Say, look, the Apostle Paul is writing about this very thing right here. And if you think that your works will produce salvation, you tell them, say, look, you haven't experienced grace yet. Can you explain that to a lost person? And are you able to express the freedom in your life that only comes through a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? What is it that you've been set free from? That's what you need to share with someone. Say, well, Brother Tracy, I've never been that bad of a person. Well, 
That's not what the Bible says. And there's no doubt that each and every one of us have had some type of obstacle that the Lord has helped us to overcome, something that he set us free from. Whether it be gossip, whether it be pornography, whether it be laziness, it doesn't matter what it is. There is something in your life somewhere along the way that God said, you need to change that and I'll help you do it. When you're talking with another person, can you help walk them out of bondage that they're in? And can you help them to walk in a freedom that comes through grace alone? John Wesley had this to say about freedom and liberty. He says, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. Such liberty from the law of sin and death as the child of this world will not believe though a man declare it unto him. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul is saying to the church of Galatia right here. Stand fast in your liberty. You've been set free. You've been set free from something and you've been set free for something. Now stand in this love that God has showered you with and stand with other believers in your love for them as well. Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight. We just thank you so much, Lord God, that you love us so much that you were willing to send your one and only Son into this world. And I thank you, God, for the things that you've set me free from. Lord, I I don't want to be a people pleaser. There's only one person that I want to please, and that's you. And my hope and my prayer, Lord God, is that we'll learn to live our lives in that manner. Not trying to adhere to some creed or code or guideline. but just simply living obedient lives because we love you so much. Not out of obligation, not out of fear, because your word clearly says that perfect love casts out all fear. And I thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. I thank you that there's still power in the blood I thank you that there's still a power in the gospel. And I pray, Lord God, as we get ready for revival, that even now you would begin setting hearts free, changing lives, Lord God, and showing us how to have these conversations with people that may not know you as their Lord and Savior. I pray, Lord God, that you would show us how to be actively engaged in this community in a way It brings honor and glory to you. And Lord, as we continue in this study of the book of Galatians, Lord, help us to learn from what this church went through. Help us to be able to avoid the pitfalls and the snares that they encountered. And as we live in the age of grace, Lord God, 
Help us to never, ever take for granted the fact that we have been free from sin. But that freedom does not allow us to do anything we want to do. We just ask it all in the most precious and holy name of Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. The preceding message was presented by First Baptist Church in Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about First Baptist Church, including contact info, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.